Welcome to All Things Alt Tech. Today is July 14th, and today we're going to talk about social media culture, or how big tech gamifies away real conversation. What does that mean? Well, let's get started. You know what I realized recently? That if you tell someone that you're not on Facebook that much anymore, then chances are that they're going to respond by saying, yeah, I'm not on it all that much either. It's kind of similar to when you say that you don't drink that much anymore, or if you say that you've cut down on sugar, or if you say that you try not to sit down so much, people will generally respond in the same way. It's the zeitgeist. People will say, yeah, I don't really drink alcohol that much anymore, or I don't really eat sweets all that much anymore, or I try to get up every 20 minutes. And I think people are recognizing that social media can be harmful if done to excess. And I think more and more people are realizing that it also puts you in a pretty negative state by default, especially if you don't manage it properly. Now, a lot has already been said about how Twitter and Facebook and all those companies tailor their algorithms to try to stoke aggression and you know provoke conflict and so forth. Now, if you're Facebook though, and you're trying to optimize your site for you know time on site, page views and so forth, I mean, you will end up surfacing the type of posts that generate engagement. It's pretty simple. But it also means that you're probably going to end up with surfacing the type of content that's really polarizing, you know, stuff that really animates people and also stuff that really kind of rubs them the wrong way. In other words, I mean, it's content that plays on primal emotions. And that's why you end up with a lot of outrage on the platform. And you know, come to think of it, it's actually fairly recently that we started hearing about this term outrage baiting. Now, if you haven't heard this before, it's basically a phenomenon whereby a poster tries to find the most infuriating story, however, you know, super local that story might be, and they try to stoke a widespread reaction. So for example, you might see a post on social media such as, woman in Germany denied custody of child because evidence surfaced of her smoking marijuana six years ago. And then you'll have hundreds, if not thousands of likes and shares and so forth on that post. And whenever somebody posts stuff like that, it's often coupled with using, you know, Facebook's functionalities to further try and help spread and boost that message. So for example, First, you try to bait people into showing their approval by asking them to share or vote or tag or react or comment to display their support. It's a very effective way of achieving a lot of reach very quickly. And you know, it's not that Facebook is designing some kind of an outrage machine. It's that Facebook is optimizing towards engagement. And like I said, they're trying to coax out more time on site, more page views and and they're trying to stoke the creation of more engaging content. It's just that this happens to be the provoking type of content. But I think users are playing along though, in the sense that, as I mentioned, they are devising more and more tactics to try and amplify the signals and further spread their message. So first you find that post that really pushes people's buttons. And then on top of that, you also use the various functionalities of Facebook to try and really supercharge it. So I think it's easy to say that Facebook is evil, and believe me, they are evil, but for slightly different reasons. I think to some degree you do have your own impulses and reflexes to blame for, you know, taking the bait and also for using all those baiting tactics yourself. 
Now, granted, Facebook doesn't really give you a lever to steer the nature of your feed and to put yourself in a more positive direction and to consume more content of a certain kind. But they know through their own experiments that they can influence the mood of a user. Facebook has tested this in the past and they have clearly chosen to steer you in a certain direction. And that is towards, well, outrage, anger. That really causes people to engage and stick around. But of course, it's not Facebook that's creating this content. It's people and companies who do. I mean, Facebook is just merely dispersing it. It's curating it and it's displaying it. So you provide the ingredients and Facebook serves the ready dish, as it were. And as the consumer of that dish, so-called, the consumer of social content, you do have some choice in what you consume and how you respond to it, first and foremost. Now, if you have self-control and self-awareness and mindfulness and so forth, you're not going to be provoked into this endless name-calling, insulting, shaming, trolling, etc. that you see on the social media channels so much. If you know what you're doing, you're not going to be using Facebook for tirades and rants and so forth. But here's the problem. People are not going to respond en masse to the balanced, well-articulated content. I mean, the well has already been poisoned in that sense. Or rather, the culture has already emerged and you can't really undo it. So unless you do these mic drops and one-liners and all these traumatic insult-ridden rants and all the response baiting and so forth, you're probably not going to get noticed very quickly. Now, there are actually other platforms out there that have managed to coax out the slightly different etiquette. And no, I'm actually not talking about alt tech for once, but take a look at a site such as Quora. I mean, granted, the dynamics are a little bit different here in that it's more of a search engine than a you know, feed displaying content. But it does go to show that it is possible to craft a social experience that's a bit more mature and where you have more meaningful conversation. But of course, on most social networks, it's a pretty different story. I mean, people use all kinds of Machiavellian tricks and ugly debating tactics and dumb memes and so forth to try and get a response. And I think this ties into the other primal drive that social media really preys on, which is narcissism. You want to be heard, you want confirmation of the fact that you're being heard and so forth. So people come back to Facebook because they want to see who responded and reacted, commented and shared. It's been kind of gamified in this way, like so many other platforms. And the score that you earn doesn't really take the quality of your interactions into consideration. I mean, there is no real emphasis on veracity or anything like that. Because the social signals that Facebook revolve around are very crude when you think about it. I mean, to this day, nobody's really quite sure of what exactly a like means. I mean, it doesn't mean you've produced something meaningful, thank you. It doesn't mean I agree. It doesn't mean good point. So what Facebook uses when they try and tailor our feeds and steer the flow of information and engagement, it's based on some pretty flaky stuff when you think about it. Now, it's easy to say that you don't care about likes and you never check them and so forth, but Anyone from you, the individual, to a large enterprise business, you're going to care about likes to some degree. More likes, more shares is good. In most people's minds, it is what constitutes a successful post. 
Now, Facebook is moving in the direction of outright policing of speech. And there is already a function to sort of thwart certain types of speech. But that's not really what we're talking about here when we're talking about steering a platform towards more quality engagement. We don't want Facebook to dictate what can be said. And besides, Facebook is not smart enough to determine what constitutes a meaningful and balanced conversation any more than they can separate fact from fiction or news from fake news. It's more a case of you use this string of words and that equates to hate speech. Now behind the scenes, there's a bit more going on. There's a small select panel and a team of approval specialists and so forth. And together with some AI magic, they find out who's committing wrong think and wrong speak. And on that basis, well, the sinners get silenced or banned. Now, Facebook's line on hate speech, I mean, it's already been politicized and it doesn't really have anything to do with quality. It doesn't take that into consideration at all. It's very crude. And when you're going to talk about hate speech, it always comes back to, well, hate speech by whose definition? So that whole concept has already been compromised on Facebook's end. But more importantly, I don't really think Facebook needs to filter out hate speech, or certainly not the type of speech they're filtering out right now. I mean, you can mute and block as you see fit already. And by the way, on Twitter, you can use negative keywords to try and negate themes that don't really interest you. So maybe Facebook should do the same. Now, there was actually a time when people would treat Facebook very differently. You know, it was very relaxed. It was this apolitical place and it had kind of a happy-go-lucky vibe. Now, this is a long time ago, but I remember it. And people would post this goofy stuff or people would state that they were in a relationship with their best friend and so forth. Nobody took that stuff really seriously. Now, all that's far gone, of course, but there was a different culture on most social media when things first got started. I mean, nowadays, you basically risk getting fired for a Facebook post, for a tweet. So who's to blame for social media becoming such a hate fest with such dumbed-down discussion, usually? I think it's twofold. I mean, if you create a social network where the main feature is 140 character messages, well, don't expect meaningful exchanges, I guess. If you design algorithms with crude engagement signals and you optimize towards even more crude emotions, well, don't expect meaningful discourse and any kind of pleasant experience. And if your sole purpose of your worldwide communications platform is to generate advertising dollars, well, this is kind of what you get. But I do think that the platforms, they shape our interactions, and this kind of works in perpetuity. So what I, what I mean by that is, the more we are rewarded for creating inflammatory content, well, the more inflammatory the content will get. But once you become aware of how you're being goaded and provoked and baited into responding in a certain way, well, then you don't really have any excuses to continue behaving in the same way or following the people that use these dirty tactics that I spoke about. I think at that point, it's a choice. Now, I mentioned at the very top how most people will say, yeah, I try not to use Facebook all that much. I try to cut down on Twitter. I think that's a good first step. I mean, for me, the second step is trying to be more mindful not to get rage-baited into responding and spending mental energy on scolding people I disagree with on social media. Because at the end of the day, guess what? I mean, nobody is going to change their mind over a social media post. 
at least not when it comes to the real substantial questions. I mean, you're not going to convince somebody to vote left or right or to change their views or on abortion or fiscal policy or anything like that. It's not going to happen. So to some degree, the social stuff, when it comes to the really profound questions, it's a bit of a time waste. Now, with all these new platforms popping up, you know, Minds.com, Steam, etc., is that going to change anything? Are we going to get more healthy communication out of those platforms? We might. And the reason why I say that is because at least these platforms will allow us to monetize our own following and to amplify our message ourselves. So it's very easy to use a platform such as Minds.com to garner an audience and to use the proceeds from that audience to boost your message further. You really don't have any direct control over that on, say, Facebook. And also, as far as I can tell, it seems like most of these new platforms, the alt-tech platforms, they have a more sound approach to free speech. They don't try to steer things so much, which is encouraging. That could change, but so far, so good. Now, as I say, if this is not corrupted by new platform-level biases, if it's not corrupted by the convictions of the people who start these new platforms, well, then we're looking at more of an economy of ideas, a literal economy of ideas, in that you are paid for what you post. You are paid on the basis of the engagement that you create. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to result in a love fest. doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to see less outrage but it is a different ecosystem and it will be the end users who determine who is rewarded and who is not. What do you think? Do you try to not use Facebook so much anymore? Have you already left Facebook, by the way? Let me know what you think. And by the way, feel free to propose topics for me to cover in future podcasts. You can email me on podcast at nyman.media. That's podcast at nyman.media. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.